Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. My name is Doug Stewart, and with me is Norman Horn and Nick Gosling. And we have a we want to provide with we want to provide you a brief compilation of some of the books that are our favorites or maybe things that we've been reading that really have impressed us uh, you know more recently and some of the ones we've read recently are ones that are older books that we're just now getting around to so I, I I'm one of those people who always has a book to tell people they should they should read because I'm always excited about you know at least one of the past five books that I've read I'm pretty picky about what I choose to read so you know, I always want to be like, hey, you know what? You should read this. And, uh, you know, I don't often get to tell people that because, you know, not, there's not a ton of libertarians around me, so I can't encourage them to read some of the stuff that I'm listening to. So you, the listener, can uh, be the people that hear me say, hey, you should listen to a book. So what we're going to do, Nick and Norman are, and I are going to give you a brief uh, bit of information about some of the books that we want to want to share with you. We're going to tell you how many pages they are. If you are into audiobooks, uh, we have uh, how long they are. So you can kind of get a sense without having to look it up on your own. We did all the research for you. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it. So we want to give you some information. So one of the one of the things that I hope you don't end up doing is delaying buying one of those books that you know you should read. So here's the thing. When you are done listening to this episode, if you go to libertarianchristians.com slash bookstore, you will see the books that we have talked about, plus some more. And so I hope that this episode will encourage you to read books by going and buying them, of course. Um, And so we're going to start off with Call to Freedom, published in 2017, and it's only 140 pages. So Norman, tell us why every listener should... (laughs) Well, for one thing, the foreword is amazing, if I may say so. Uh, I I definitely enjoyed reading. I definitely enjoyed writing it, and I enjoyed reading it a lot too. I think I got I pretty much got I think the first uh, the first complete copy of the book. In fact, I, th- I don't think it was fully edited at that point. But even just re- initially reading it was really exciting um, because, in a lot of ways, this represents. Uh, kind of a new, the new vanguard of a lot of us Christian libertarians who are looking to make a change in our in, in our modern church today. Um, we've recognized that there's a problem, and we're trying to do something about it. Uh, looking to, you know, get back to basics of theology and and really improve the way that we think about um, the church and the state. And so, you know, I mean, that's really, that's the mission of LCI itself, of course, but this is encapsulated in this book in a very short, pithy, understandable way. It's easily digestible. It's a great book to be able to just give to a friend. 
uh, who's interested in the topic but doesn't need to, you know, hit a 400 or 500 or 600 page book and certainly isn't ready to read, you know, Murray Rothbard's Man, Economy, and State or something like that in order to get what they need to know about economics, the universe, and everything. Um, so it's a wonderful short book to just get you um, to get you really started into the scholarship of liberty uh, in a way that's easily digestible. Yeah, it also would you say it's also a good starting point if people don't know where to start. It's a good starting point not only for the content but for the fact that the authors cite content by a, a lot of the a lot of the more scholarly or denser works. Yeah, I, actually, I think that's a that's a really great point. Is that there? It's it's well footnoted. There's lots of bibliographical information and ways in which you can learn more. And and really, that's a great tip about any of these books, for the most part, that we'll recommend that aren't novels or something like that, is that, you know, pay attention to your bibliography and those footnotes. They often will contain a lot of stuff you wouldn't have think, you wouldn't have thought about before, and you, you might find yourself chasing down some interesting information that you find and uh, and learning something that you never would have expected. Yeah, I th- I think it's one of those. Like I said, as I belabored the point, introducing it. Don't don't ignore this book. I kind of and here's why I kind of said that. And I and I've mentioned this on on previous episodes. This book in particular, I just kind of thought I knew the general arguments that were being made, and I did in in some very simple sense. But these arguments are very well thought out. You could tell that they they batted around the ideas before you know you know with each other and and really talked through the book itself as because it's written by multiple authors. So it it's really important, not because of. I mean, it's important for a number of reasons, but one of them is if you think you kind of know these arguments and why Christianity and libertarianism are compatible, okay, fine, but this book is going to either dig in deeper or provide you reasons you just haven't thought of, which honestly, I I was really surprised, and it was one of the reasons I regretted it. Before we move on to another book, I just want to point out that in several episodes in the past, um, in 2017, we actually uh, talked to some of the authors. So let's just I'm just going to give you episode 32. We talked with Elise and Jacqueline about the book. They, uh, Elise was um, uh, one of the was the editor, and Jacqueline was one of the authors. Episode 38 is with Jason Huey on the Bible's portrayal of the state. And, and then episode 39, we have libertarians versus libertarian versus libertinism uh, with Taylor Barkley. So those are some episodes. Uh, that's 32 and 38 and 39 were both uh, specifically about the book or with one of the authors of the book. So this so called to freedom is a book that is written by Christians who are also libertarians and they make a case for why Christians can be libertarian and how there's not an inherent conflict. In fact, there's a there's a harmony there. Uh, between libertarianism and Christianity. And so, like I said, libertarianchristians.com slash bookstore, call to freedom, go buy it. And so what what I want to do next is switch to a book that isn't written by a Christian, but is really important to the libertarian movement. And that is by none other than Murray Rothbard. It was written in 1973. It's a, a little over 400 pages. If you were to listen to the audio book, it's 16 hours. Norman, tell us about the book For a New Liberty. Oh, where do you, where to begin? This is arguably one of the best ways to dive deep into the libertarian idea that you can possibly find. Uh, it is just a terrific, um, a terrific book. And and one thing we should mention here too is that uh, 
this book is actually freely available. If you're okay with eBooks or PDFs, uh, you can go get it at the Mises Institute. You can download it from their library for free. And then, of course, you can get a hardback edition. You can get a paperback edition. Uh, they're you know all readily available. And it's I, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, this was definitely one of the ways that um, really you know started shifting my mind in a lot of ways. Um, it begins talking about the genesis of the American experiment uh, in in you know potentially what would what we were hoping was going to be limited government, but even talking about the problems on why the American experiment went awry uh, from even the the uh, how we thought about the Constitution and how that evolved over time uh, and how American government you know continued to go wrong and then it. But then from there, it goes on to present a full case for why why liberty, why the non-aggression principle is the is the bedrock of uh, of the libertarian idea and how important that is. Um, it's just it's just terrific, and I highly recommend this for anyone. You'll get chapters about everything from military adventurism, history, uh, and even a little bit about how you know who will build the roads. Uh, so you get a lot of great stuff out of here. You you just you know you just can't go wrong with this book, and it really should be on any self-respecting libertarian's bookshelf. And uh, any self-respecting libertarian who hasn't read it needs to get on this one right away. <laughs> that is for New Liberty by Murray Rothbard, and that is that is definitely a a, a must a must read. So speaking of you know you mentioned Norman that it talks a little bit about the uh, the faults of the American experiment. And there's another book whose title is called Democracy, the God that Failed by Hans Hermann Hoppe. And Nick's going to tell us a little bit about that book. I kind of like the, the the linkage there that, uh, you know, the American experiment was faulty and we need real liberty. Uh, Nick, tell us a little bit about the Hoppe book. It was written in 2001 and it's about 300 pages. So I'll let you give us a summary. Actually, it, it's great that we're talking about this book right after uh, For New Liberty. Those two books were very influential on on me. Uh, in, in, in fact, th those were the two books that together uh, led me to become an anarcho-capitalist. Um, and but but they're very different, uh, complementary but different. And so Hoppe weaves in a a wide variety of different subjects. So he, he's an economist by training, but he utilizes economics and, and history and sociology and political science. And his overall thesis is that if you consider uh, monarchy, democracy, and statelessness, and he would include what we call a, a republic or a democratic republic under the heading of democracy, you have those three types of system, uh, democracy is actually the worst type of system. And in this way, Hoppe even departs uh, from, from Rothbard in some ways, because Rothbard, while he was, of course, an anarcho-capitalist, uh, still sort of believed that democracy was a, a, a method by which maybe we could make things a little better or move more in the direction of less government. Uh, and, and Hoppe actually uh, disputes that thesis. And he argues that uh, privatized government, even in the sense of a, a monarchy, in, like a feudal king, uh, is still better than democracy. And this is kind of a challenging argument even for a lot of libertarians, but it, and, and it's a very complex book. But it, in order to kind of get there, 
One of the main points he makes is that when you have a privatized government, uh, there's not this, this illusion that the people are the government. And so because there's not that illusion, uh, and everyone kind of recognizes that the king or the, or, or the emperor or whomever is different from the people, uh, it, it's more obvious that their interests are not aligned. And the monarch also has the incentive to preserve uh, the land and his tax base. Whereas in a democracy, we have this sort of rotating door of people who come in for a time, and it is in their interest to squander the resources of the country uh, during that short period in which they're there in order to maximize whatever they're, they're looking to get out of it or, or their legacy or what have you. Um, why those first hundred days are so important for yeah i mean that's that's kind of the the, the theory we operate on here and that's that's and hoppe argues that's that is a core problem in democracy you know of course hoppe is also an anarcho-capitalist and what he calls a natural aristocracy or, or stateless order he argues why that is 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 the most free market friendly and the in, in the most efficient uh type of system to have but in the absence of that he's saying the worst thing, the worst kind of system we could have is a democratic system precisely because it is the mass collectivization of resources. If we're going to have any government at all, we'd actually be better off under a king than under a modern democracy, which also gave us the rise to the age of world wars as well. Yeah, it's certainly a challenging thesis. Even if you don't necessarily agree off the top, it's kind of a, it's a, it's such a different way of thinking and it, it certainly is just not automatic that, you know, the presupposition that is so often, you know, we have in our society that, well, this, this democratic system is just better than everything else, period. And it's not automatic. So it's good that it's good to have these sorts of things out here. Yeah, it, so, it sounds like a democracy. The God that failed is, is one that everyone should read. And, you know, and speaking of books that talk about social order and society, Nick, another book I know you've read is by Robert Nisbet. Uh, Tom Woods uh, said that this is a really good book to read, and I remember, uh, and I've read it as well. Uh, it was written in 1953, which is quite a long time ago, so it's kind of been a good uh, sort of uh, new classic, if you will. Um, it's about 330 pages. Nick, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, what is The Quest for Community by Robert Nisbet all about? So Nisbet is actually a very renowned a conservative thinker in the in the classical conservative tradition, the old right sort of uh, tradition. So, and, and I mean, these labels can can get muddled. But what I'm essentially meaning is not a neocon, not a modern conservative. He's a very traditional conservative in the in the line of Russell Kirk and those types. Um, and so, it's not necessarily a libertarian book, but I mean, the the thesis and the content is imminently relevant to how we as libertarians think about these sorts of issues. And so what Nisbet is basically doing is he's giving a philosophical, sociological overview of social organization and, and states and bodies politic, uh, particularly in the aftermath of the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, and the rise of the modern state. And what he demonstrates, and, and actually Hoppe draws a lot on Nisbet's line of thinking in, in his book, but what Nisbet demonstrates is that as the power of the state grows, 
it necessarily shrinks the influence of competing societal power structures. So as the state gets bigger and more powerful and takes on a more prominent role in our lives, the church, the family, the business, uh, the guild, the trade association, all these voluntary competing associations, which sort of, you know, they, they, they compete with the state for loyalty, they necessarily shrink in influence. So Nisbet would say it's impossible to have robust, authentic communities, churches, families, businesses, etc., in the presence of a large, powerful state. The state's essence is to subsume everything under itself. And if you know, like, French Revolutionary history and, and leading up to the French Revolution, prior to the French Revolution, we had Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was sort of the philosopher that laid the groundwork uh, for what became the French Revolution. You know, one of the things he talks about is civil religion. And it's this idea that, oh, well, religion actually is good, but it should be controlled by the state, and its purposes should be oriented towards the state and the worship of the state and, and the uh, elevation of the collective. Well, it's all that same line of thinking. So the idea is that you, it, it is impossible to have big government and real human community in the true sense. If you, if you want to have authentic human community, you must slash away at the size and scope of the state. And these, these institutions that you, you, you say competing institutions like the family, the guild, the business, the church... Uh, other organizations that are more are pretty much voluntary. You you don't mean, or he doesn't mean that they're competing against each other, but that they are they compete with the state for attention and and uh, membership, if you will. That's right, because the state the state claims ultimate loyalty unto itself, and these these other institutions, uh, you know, they, they that's that that runs into conflict at that point. Well, and what's interesting is that they're not mutually exclusive, is that the the institutions that he's referring to as a lot more substantive that genuine that provide genuine community are ones that they're ones that like you could belong to a family and a church and a guild and run a business and volunteer at the local Lions Club, you know, and they have varying levels and they, they kind of intersect and overlap in, in, in a number of ways. Which again, you know, if you think about that, it's really it is more community, if you will, than than the state just taking up and sucking up all the life out of those types of endeavors. So that's the quest for community uh, by Robert Nisbet. We uh, we we strongly recommend that you do that. What I want to do next is actually talk about two particular authors that you should read, and because and I say authors because they have uh, a number of books that are important to read. And Norman is going to start off by telling us about Edmund Opitz. And Norman, go ahead and I'll let you uh, tell us the two books that uh, everyone should read. See, by the end of this episode, every one of our listeners is going to have like a stack of books to read, right? You should. It'll take you about you know two lifetimes to get through it all. I'm pretty sure. No, not really. But <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So what what should they read by Edmund Opitz? Well, I, I think what a funny little anecdote to kind of start off, and uh, that I think is is kind of interesting here because I've kind of rehabilitated Opitz in in a number of ways. It seems like with uh, with our community here, uh, and so just a, the brief brief uh, anecdote, and that's when I was uh, initially kind of learning about. Uh, various libertarian figures and uh, and really just kind of beginning my my journey through liberty in in many respects, I sort of accidentally discovered 
this uh, one of Opitz's books called The Libertarian Theology of Freedom. And I was so excited to have discovered this book. I instantly purchased it on Amazon and uh, and had it shipped to me as quickly as possible so that I could devour it. And it's not a very long book. Um, it's kind of difficult to find now on on some level just because, well, after I, you know, actually after I reviewed it on LCC way back in the day, um, it pretty much went perpetually out of uh, out of stock at, at Amazon after that. It's only about 150 pages long. Um, it's it's really a collection of essays that uh, that Edmund Opitz wrote. So you can find bits and pieces of it um, elsewhere online. Uh, but it's it's just very different um, in so far as you know. Opitz was a um, was a was a uh, involved in uh, in fee the foundation for economic education for the longest time and he actually was also involved in in, in its predecessor uh, spiritual mobilization he's been along that he's been a, around that long <laughs> and uh, it's pretty so he's you know Opitz is a uh, is significant in our history as as libertarians not uh, you know first and foremost but also he wrote all of these uh, these articles and whatnot about um, about Christianity and liberty as well and that's what we're that's what you get at in the libertarian theology of freedom and also in another book that uh, that he that he wrote were again collected essays called religion and capitalism allies not enemies um, and this is again collected essays it's great uh, you just get a lot of just great you know arguments that uh, that you just won't see in a lot of uh, in a lot of of, of publications uh, from certainly from that time period and and often not now. Um, we're again we're as we said said earlier we're kind of in a new a little bit of a new renaissance uh, if you will of Christian libertarian ideas with so many great people out there producing new material like called to freedom and whatnot. But uh, Edmund Opitz is definitely one of our you know, libertarian Christian forefathers, if you will, uh, especially in the 20th century. So he's definitely worth reading. If you can find his books anywhere, then I highly recommend you just pick them up immediately. Look them up on Amazon. Look it up on eBay. Um, don't break your bank to get it because sometimes it can, you know, go out of stock and the prices shoot up. But uh, if you can pick them up, I definitely recommend it. Good. So Edmund Opitz, again, libertarianchristians.com slash bookstore, and you can get all of these books here. And all it is for us, for LCI, it's a link to Amazon, and uh, we get a little bit of uh, of the proceeds when you use the link on that on that website. So tell us about John Coben. Uh, there's a couple of books by John Coben, and there's quite a bit of material on LCI's website as well. Norman, go ahead and tell us about that. Yeah, John Coben is a is a is a Christian thinker uh, who's written a, a couple of books, and and uh, we'll just mention briefly those the two most important ones, which are Christian Theology of Public Policy and another book called Bible and Government. Um, both of these books are pretty easily available these days and are really really good. Uh, John has. Um, uh, He's got a PhD, and I believe he also has a degree in law. Uh, and he's just a—he's a really uh, erudite guy. And I would say that you know, in, in in what I have experienced in reading Christian theology from a bunch of different eras on a ton of different authors, and trying to parse through commentaries and, on, on scripture and whatnot, I've rarely found uh, a more um, succinct 
an excellent presentation of how to think about Romans 13 in particular than in John Coben. And a lot of uh, the way that I think about it uh, is a kind of spinoff from him in a lot of ways. I think that I, I somewhat innovate on, well, not necessarily innovate, but I uh, expand, I should say, upon what he has done in a few ways uh, in, in my own analyses. Um, but I think that that Coben is just a terrific uh, a terrific thinker f- uh, in this way. He's got a, just a ton of interesting um of not just uh, scriptural analysis, but historical analysis in there, as well as some interesting just data on uh, things like government genocide and why you know if we if we as Christians think that life is precious in all in all its forms and uh, and and human life that is and that we should you know murdering is bad then we should think of genocide as being kind of one of the ultimate evils out there. Coben does a good job of really presenting why the state is the only way that you're going to end up with genocide like that. Uh, and and it's he he cites uh, you know uh, Rummel and a ver- various other uh, authors as well in order to make those points. It's a great book to read. I highly recommend both of these books, having them on your shelf. As Christian libertarians, there's uh, not not much better out there than you can get than that. So those are some books by Christians who are defending a more libertarian or explicitly libertarian framework for understanding society and you know offering biblical and theological defenses, both of, both of those things. What, a, what, what is interesting to me is that there are a lot of books out there that are not explicitly libertarian. In fact, the authors themselves may not even identify as libertarian. They might even not like libertarianism as they see it or as they understand it, whether they're accurate or only, you know, or really off. Authors like that, you know, in, in some ways they unwittingly defend a libertarian view of the state without, you know, maybe embracing the whole, the whole thing. And so I find them useful in a lot of ways because they 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 name the problem with a lot of what's wrong in society. Now they made themselves sort of still look to the state uh, for for a solution to the problems that they're that they that they're talking about, but uh, they they are nonetheless find things very helpful. And there are a number of books that we could talk about. I mean, even you know people like Brian Zahn with A Farewell to Mars. I mean, he's definitely down down our alley with you know being anti state worship. Books like Greg Boyd's Myth of a Christian Nation that we've we've promoted a lot on this show, and we've promoted a lot on on LCI. Uh, but Nick, Nick, I want you to talk about a couple of books that you thought of that we don't talk about as much, but they are very important and they are they are quite substantial in what they cover. And the first the first one is actually a trilogy. So go ahead and tell us about um, the Walter Wink uh, trilogy and give us some information. there. Right. Well, actually, Doug, you and I talked a little bit about these on a much earlier episode of the show. Um, Walter Wink. He, he died several years back, and he's, he's often kind of regarded, I, I think somewhat erroneously, as uh, one of the key figures of progressive Christianity in the last century or so. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's really fair to consider him a, a progressive, certainly not uh, necessarily a political progressive, um, although he probably did lean in that direction at least. Um, but... The trilogy, the Powers trilogy, is one of the best works on spiritual warfare and understanding uh, the the sort of supernatural backdrop of New Testament thinking that that I, I think is is in print today. Um, 
So, you know, as you're, as you're reading the Bible, and, and particularly the New Testament, we come upon all kinds of references to principalities and powers and rulers and authorities. And so it, it, it's not always entirely clear what the author means. Uh, and so Wink's trilogy is dedicated to exploring that. And the first book, Naming the Powers, is actually very technical. It, it has a lot of a lot of Greek and uh, grammatical exegesis that he's working through. Um, but you don't necessarily need to read all three books, although if, you, if, if you're prepared to slog through that, uh, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. Uh, mo- most people tend to just go to the third book, which is the longest and the most practical. Uh, but the, the, the overarching uh, theme of the work is he's exploring what, what do these terms mean in, in New Testament uh, thinking. What are the powers? And he demonstrates, I, I, I think, rather well and, and compellingly, that when we, when we look at the powers in the New Testament, there's a, it, it's sort of a, a combination of the spiritual and the human. So we're dealing with human institutions uh, like the state, not, not exclusively the state. I mean, you can also apply this to corporations or, or any other organization, but the state is the main one. Uh, in which there is some kind of evil supernatural force operating behind it uh, to work counter to the kingdom of God and the will of God and the good of the church. And, and, and these are the, the powers that, you know, Wink would argue the New Testament is, is talking about. And so when we get to these verses like in Colossians where we find, you know, Christ has disarmed the powers, he's put them to open shame, well, that has tremendous practical application for spiritual warfare and, and, and also how we, how we view our, our mission and our ministry and, and, our, and our, our politics. Um, so if we understand that things like the state and but again, it can be it can be any organization that is that is pursuing some sort of institutionalized evil. Um, when we understand that this really is uh, a spiritual battle, and of course that's a theme also prominent in Ephesians, uh, it, it helps us to understand how to address those things and work uh, to, to to fight those things in a Christ-like way for the kingdom of God. And that has, that has tremendous relevance for political philosophy, uh, among many other things. So naming the powers is the first one which I mentioned. And as I said, that one's, that one's actually very technical uh, in grammar and Greek grammar and so forth. So, um, and then Unmasking the Powers is the second book, which was written a couple of years later, around 1986. Um, and that gets a little bit more into the theology. And the third and, and final, and by far the largest of the three, is Engaging the Powers, which came out in the early 90s. And it's, uh, it, it's sort of practical application flowing out of uh, what had been discussed in the first two books. Another author that we uh, absolutely have to mention, uh, since he's one of our favorite people here at LCI, is Lawrence Vance. Uh, Lawrence has been a longtime supporter of LibertarianChristians.com and our projects, uh, and f- and he's just a prolific author in, uh, especially in the areas of war and peace, uh, 
and how Christians think about that. And that's uh, actually really the topic of the main the book that, that he is known for, which is uh, goes by a couple different titles since there's been a few different editions. Um, Christianity and War was the first edition. The more recent one is War, Christianity, and the State, um, which, again, it's a collection of essays. A lot of them were written for LRC, and but he's also published in a variety of other places as well. And these are just really critical essays that you should you should know exist and that you should definitely get to read when you have a chance because it just gives you ammunition and ways of thinking about the warfare state in particular that Christians need to hear. And sometimes he can be a bit, uh, a, shall I say, a little bit uh, acerbic towards uh, towards the, the, the church at large at times because the church has been really bad on war at times. And so it's kind of a speaking in a very prophetic voice and uh, it's something that the church needs to hear. Um, it's not always something that we, you know, we, we always, it's not that we should always speak like that all the time, but it's, it's a voice that needs to be heard. And I can't recommend this book enough for you. He's also got another little, a smaller book called, um, the, the War on Drugs is a War on Freedom. And that is a great book, too, for Christians in particular who don't fully get yet that the war on drugs is a terrible thing. Uh, and, in, and in fact, that should be one of the, the pillars of our understanding of libertarian theory, uh, realizing that the, the government that, that is able to ban uh, substances such as that is a government that can take unlimited power unto itself. And so that's a, a critical subject that we need to, that we need to uh, understand well, and, uh, and Lawrence does a great job of expressing that to Christians. So I think those are a couple of books that you should definitely try and get when you get a chance. Another author I like to recommend, um, even though he's not exactly a Christian libertarian, but is definitely a strong Christian, uh, is Jacques Ellul. Uh, this this gentleman is a French legal theorist and theologian. Uh, he's he's been dead for a few years, um, but he's a really fascinating thinker uh, in the and in particular in the anarchist tradition. Definitely not an anarcho-capitalist, though. Um, he he has some flawed ways of thinking about money in particular and I I may I, I might end up uh, talking about that at some point in an article or in the future but he's written a couple books that I highly recommend not because they're perfect examples of Christian libertarianism but they are interesting insights into another way of thinking about critiquing the state and in, and in, with the use of scripture the books are called anarchy and christianity and then the second is called If You Are the Son of God. Anarchy and Christianity sometimes rubs people the wrong way um, because you, he gets a lot into his personal history and why he was part of uh, some socialist movements in his younger years. Um, but he, I think he just has a really interesting way of thinking about how to critique the state from a biblical point of view, I think is worthwhile. I know it's not the, the favorite of, of some some of our listeners. That's okay. It challenges us to think differently, and I think that's worthwhile. Uh, and it definitely will challenge anybody who is totally not on the anarchist side uh, to really think differently. If You Are the Son of God is a very unusual book. I have, It's more recent, um, recently translated into English, and I had the opportunity to review it a few years ago uh, when it was brought into the States. And, uh, and I think it's a fantastic book for two reasons. One is that the book is all about how, uh, how to understand the sufferings and temptations of Jesus on a level that helps us to understand the humanity of, that Jesus experienced. It's really easy to, to let um, Jesus's God uh, nature kind of overshadow uh, the fact that he was also fully human. 
to be fully human and experience all of what we experience as as people who suffer, as people who are tempted, and yet to overcome is significant. And it's especially significant from a libertarian point of view in that he was tempted with power. And that's another interesting uh, segment of the book that I think is is kind of relevant to us. And moreover, I would just sort of add as an ancillary note, this isn't a libertarian point at all, but it's just what a great encouragement it is if you are if you have suffered uh, some terrible things in your life to have a meditation written f- just for you, it seems, about how Jesus experienced suffering. And it's very encouraging in this respect. So I would, I would love to recommend both of those books to you. Neither of them are very long. They're both a little less than 100 pages each, uh, and you can get them very easily. They're wonderful books. Well, guys, we have covered at least a dozen books, and we've we've talked about some very important works in Christian faith, in Christian, in uh, libertarian uh, philosophy, and you know, one one thing, just so that we don't get mail asking why didn't you cover this particular person, I just want to say Ron Paul, who is a is a Christian. He has is very open about his faith. He's very open about how his libertarian beliefs uh, coincide with his faith. Uh, he, he doesn't shy away from that at all. We, of course, love Ron Paul. In fact, if you go to uh, libertarianchristians.com slash bookstore, he is on the top row uh, with Call to Freedom. So we, we don't want to pass up uh, mentioning Ron Paul, of course. I know a lot of you love Dr. Paul's work, and so we, we definitely promote that as well. Another thing I want to mention is we obviously don't have time in a single episode to cover all the books that we hope you read. So libertarianchristians.com has over 10 years of book reviews. Some books that we review we're not so in favor of, but we might give you some insights on uh, what exactly that author has to say and maybe why they're wrong. I mean, I've reviewed books by Jim Wallace, but there's book reviews by bad books, by mediocre books, by really wonderful books. So we we definitely encourage you to go to libertarianchristians.com and finding those out. So libertarianchristians.com slash bookstore uh, is where we would want you to start your search for what book should you have on your shelf and uh, in your hands reading, because that website is a link to help LCI get a small portion of the proceeds by purchasing through Amazon. So that again is libertarianchristians.com slash bookstore. Norman, Nick, thanks for giving us the rundown on a lot of books that are very important. And I hope maybe we'll be able to do one of these uh, uh, in the future. Thank you for listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. We are a 501c3 organization, and we depend on your generous donations. So if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, and you want to see LCI produce more content in 2018 and into the future, please go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate. You can reach us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com if you want to send us an email. And you can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Libertarian Christians.